and welcome to part two of the Stuart Smith lockdown interview. Stuart, right, we've been talking about racing, so let's talk about you as a driver. So you are um, noted as being an, as an aggressive stock car driver, you mentioned it yourself. Was that something that you chose to drive like, or it was naturally in your driving style? Um, I, I, I actually know where it probably came from, and I think that was... Um... I, I used to love watching aggressive drivers when I was a kid. Um, a lot of kids at stock cars just run around in circles and play with little cars while the big cars are racing. But I, I do remember watching, loved, I loved to watch Jane Bean. Um, she were, I mean, my me, me dad was seeing Jane at the time, so I was quite close to Jane. But uh, she, as, a, as a driver, she was so exciting to watch because you you never knew what she was going to do. You, well, I did, because I knew what she was like. You know, I, I knew if, if she was in half a chance, she would, she'd let the person pass through her faster who would probably go on to win it, and she'd stick them straight up to the teeth and, you know, carry on herself and try and win it that way. And not, not only Jane, but people like Burnsy, Bobby Burns, he were like that real hard driver. Um, if the race was a bit boring, you'd always try and find Burns to see where he was, see what he was up to. Um, and to some extent, Peter Folding. I, I was a Peter Folding fan as a kid because uh, my brother was helping him and, and Peter was just, I think he was were, were like the best then when I, when I was a kid. Um, so, and Peter were, you know, pretty aggressive and ruthless. And also Kev Smith, you know, I, I watched Kev when um, when I was a kid as well, coming through the ranks and, and even having even having some run-ins with my brother when I was mechanic in for Andrew, he was still you still appreciated the entertainment he created, and uh, I love people like that, and I think there should be more people like that. And there is a few, there is a few still around, but uh, I think we need to encourage more of it, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think going back to your question, the the reason why I chose, I, I didn't actually choose. I, I think I was brought up on people like yeah. Beanie, Burnsy, Kevin, and uh, Peter. They were they were all hard drivers who created loads of entertainment. And um, I think I've got to say it as well. I think what made me even worse was the frustration of watching Andrew <laughs> because <laughs> I was, uh, you know, willing him on to win and, and somebody had, had bark him or take him out on purpose and and then he'd get behind him and he wouldn't touch him. <laughs> he'd just pass him and still try and win the race. And to me, that was double dutch. You, sh you don't do that. If somebody took you out and took the race off you, you don't carry on to get a third. You go and stick him through the fence. That's, you know. So I think, I think he's born, he's born out of appreciation for them real entertaining drivers, but also the frustration of watching my brother. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. When I was talking to Kev Smith last week, he did say that um, you were both very different drivers, you and Andrew. You both drove very, very differently, which you've obviously referenced there. So um, just, just as, a, as a side question, so you've mentioned entertainment. Are you conscious that you are there to entertain as well as kind of win championships? Does that kind of sit in your brain when you're out on track? 100%. I think 
it goes, it should go 50-50 with you. You know, you should be first and foremost is to win. That's That goes without saying. But secondly, you should have it in the back of your mind. You're an entertainer. You're not just a, a bloke doing a hobby, racing in circle. You're attracting people to come and watch you and watch the sport that you love. And it all goes in hand in hand. You know, if you're creating good enough entertainment, you'll get more and more people coming watching and therefore the job will be healthier. So, yeah, I've, I've definitely had um, that that thought process that I'm, that I'm there to entertain as well. Um, yeah, yeah j- just like the people I mentioned before, I'm sure they had that same attitude. Yeah. Which is great for, for people watching, like you say. So I think, thank you for entertaining. Um, who's the hardest driver you've raced against? Oh, uh, it's a bit, a bit, bit of a bit of an hard question to answer, really. Um, I mean, there's quite a few. I mean, I, I'm not picking one out. I, I don't think, but I mean, you could say Speaky was was one of the hardest because of what he did to other people, not what he did to me. So can't really say Robert, but I know we've had a few run-ins. Um, no, we've only had one really, and and that were we were both going for the points championship, and it came down to a Kings Lynn, which was the time before, in the week before the last meeting at Bellevue. Yeah, and um, he had a re- really good meeting, and I had an absolute shocker. And <laughs> come the final, I think he, even though I was lap down, he still stuck me in, <laughs> and that <laughs> and that got me back up. That and I thought, I'm not letting you do that. You know that's. I'm going to get you back for that. So I went out in, in the national, and it was horrendous weather. It was drizzly, and uh, yeah, I got behind him, and uh, I never shut off. I give him give him the hardest hit I could. But m- my mistake was I lost my temper, and I didn't do it controlled. And um, I got my back outside on the wet, and I went in backwards and, and knocked myself out, made myself look like a bag tosser. But uh, yeah. That, yeah, Speaky were, were obviously one that I were never going to beat down to, you know, floor level, but I can't say he's the hardest. Um, although, speaking of that, that time I knocked myself, he, he, he's such a, a proper stock car driver. You know, after the race, he'd come over and seen how I was, you know, because I'd, I'd hurt myself. And he were as well, but we both know that we're stock car drivers on track, yeah. off track. And it, that should never ever go off track. Yeah. The uh, whatever happens on track. So he came over to see how I was. So did Billy, and yeah, everything was fine. The worst thing about that was I knocked myself out, and I was supposed to be flying to Dublin the day after uh, to, go, to go on a big piss up with Peter Folding, John Lund, Paul Harrison, uh, Dan Johnson. There were all these stock car drivers going on this big, big. Uh, Jolly boys out in me with all the wives and everything, but yeah, yeah, I, I missed out on it because I was seeing birds flying around my head all day. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so that that was speaking. I've got to mention him, I suppose. The, the other couple of Mal Brown, I've always found him an yeah. hard driver to pass. You know, I think Mal probably saw and Kev, Kev, me and Kev have had the running. I think he he, he talked about it on his bit. Um, 
I, I had the attitude of when, when I first came in the job that nobody was gonna nobody was gonna beat me down, nobody was gonna scare me at all. And I felt as though I had to do it to sort of make a statement. But then <laughs> I don't know, that's just what I did. But Mal and Kev were certainly hard to pass, hard to race against. You didn't know what was gonna happen when you came across them. So I've got to mention them. Uh but I think ultimately the, the answer would have to be the hardest driver would have to be as daft as it sounds, Lundy. We see I touched on it before. We we seem to I don't know, we seem to sort of trip over each other. It's <laughs> it, not so much that he'd he'd stick me in or you know, anything like that. I, I don't mean anything like that. I mean John's a gentleman off, off track, but on track he can be ruthless and I think I remember when I was blue and it was for a final win at, at Bellevue and I tried to, he was obviously faster than me, he caught me up and, and there was only four laps to go or something like that. And as he passed me, I thought, well, I'm going to stick you in, you old buggy, you know, you're not going <laughs> to do this one. So I, I, I hit him as hard as I could and John being John, he did it to me again. It was like I hit him with a feather, you know. It, <laughs> He, he got away with it. I think he just bounced off the rope somehow and got away with it. And next corner, he absolutely stuck me in. You know, I think my car went through the ropes and he carried on and won. So he did his job. And I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget. I would, I would get my car trapped it out the fence. It was, a, it was a lesson to be learned, really. I suppose. Uh, I would get me, me tra- tractor would pull me out the fence, and Lundy come past on the pace car, and he. He had his trophy and the flag and he was waving and he looked at me and he went <laughs> like he does and I just thought, yeah, you know, I put my thumb off and just made me look that big, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you for that. John's, uh, John's definitely an hard driver. I seem to find it difficult to pass him. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant, thank you. Thank you, that's Stuart. Um, you've touched on you have touched on racing in New Zealand. Um, you, you went over there. You were one of the first, I think, to be in Team GB. Was it was the whole experience very enjoyable? Would you like, you know, was it something that you maybe planned to go and do again? Yeah, um, it's definitely uh, the, the the best experience I've ever had in a stock car is is in New Zealand. Uh, I mean. Uh, I, I went over there when I won the champ, world championship in 2007 and um, I met uh, a family over there who, who let me use the car, it was Scotty Myers and, and his wife Vicky and at the time, <coughs> excuse me, his uh, young son Jack and um, they, they're all into racing still now, you know Jack races, Scotty still has a go and, and uh, they provided me a car back in the day and and I, it, our friendship just went from there, really, uh, with them and the family. And they've looked after us every time we've been over there. So I've got to give a big, big shout out to the Myers family. Uh, but yeah, best time of my life was over there at that time, 2008. I went over. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I had uh, some pretty good results. The the car that. Scotty had at the time, I think he'd, he'd half built himself, but it was a, a copy of a car or something like that. Um, but it was just 
little bits on it needed refining and, and throughout the weeks I, I did a little bit of work on the car and by the time we got to the 248 championship at Palmerston um, I, I was it, the car was good it was it was good you know it was on pace and I got some good results and in the end I finished third in that championship so never been there before got on the podium and I was pretty happy with what I'd achieved and then that was supposed to be the end of it but I think because I did so well Scotty seen that I weren't just a, an idiot I was going to help him with the car I was I weren't going to wreck it you know I had an appreciation for his tackle he he put a lot of effort in and, and took me to other meetings that I weren't supposed to do I remember one day he I mean, he's a bit, he's a bit crazy, Scotty. He don't care about speed limits and that. <laughs> he, had, he had a big pickup then, a Ford 150. He had a car on the trailer. And I think we decided only to go to this meeting like last minute. And we're doing 100 miles an hour with this car on the back on these shale roads in New Zealand. And I was more scared of that journey than I was getting in the car <laughs> when I got there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, after that, we, I would just. I um, he kept pestering me, saying, "You've got to stay on for teams. You can't go home." And I've been there for what do you I think I've been there for like three weeks, four weeks, or something. And uh, and I'd never been off work in, in my life for that kind of period of time. So I, I had to ring my dad <laughs> and ask him if it were all right. Well, I didn't actually ring him. Scotty's wife, Vicky, rung him when she were pissed. And. Uh, <laughs> And the time difference is, I think it were early in the morning, so my dad would have been going to work, and I was dreading this, because my me, me dad were, were fine when he was sober. Uh, sorry, when he were drunk, he were quite amicable, but uh, when he was sober, he, and in business mode, he was you know, a bit a bit stern and a bit short <laughs> with people. <laughs> so anyway, Vicky got him round, and he, he agreed, yeah, you can stay there for another, another week or so. And... Uh, I think it was uh, the week before Teams Champs. I didn't know what to expect. I've seen all the videos and, um, you know, I remember watching a video with Scotty and he was showing me these crashes from Teams Champs saying, oh, this this guy never raced again and he never raced again and he's broke his back and he I'm sat there thinking, fucking hell, you know, this, this Teams racing really hard racing all over here and then I think it went long because me and Guy Parker were, were over there on our own at that point we'd, we'd gone originally with Neil Scudden and Peter Folding and we'd had a really good time that was that's why it was the time of my life with with them with them three and me and Guy stayed on and uh you know Guy's still one of my best friends to this day and uh that I remember Guy getting the phone call in, in the garage at Scotty's and it was the promoter at Palmerston for the team champs and he said, how do you feel being the runner or the part of the team for the Mustangs, which is the Palmerston second team? And they're a respectable team, you know, they've, they've won the team champs and, and they really made me feel like one of the team. You know, it wasn't just a... It wasn't... Definitely wasn't... A, a publicity stunt or anything like that. They, they could see that I could drive. They could see I was fast and, and the car were good. So 
it was a very serious, it is very serious over there. They take it really seriously. And I was made to feel part of the team. And I still feel part of the team of the Mustangs because it was the first team I raced for. Um, and <laughs> but it didn't really go well. I mean, I made an impact, but I, I you know, let's cut to the chain, get to the meeting. Got all that that done, all the, the scrutineering in the town. It was such a... Uh, an experience, but actually getting down to the nitty gritty of racing, I had to watch loads of videos being taught, and I, I had so much information thrown at me about what to do. I didn't really know what I should do because yeah. I had too much information, really, looking back. But the first race was <laughs> was a bit of a dance with it. We'd had a brand new prop built for it. And we put the prop shaft on, and um, sat. It did. It did four laps testing this prop, <laughs> and it hadn't been welded up. So no. as they, they do clutch starts over there, so the, for the first race of the, the Mustangs, the green flag went down, and I dropped the clutch to set off. The, and the prop went in half. <laughs> so it, I, I didn't even set off. You know, all this build up. I was. I mean, it's massive over there. I was on. I was on TV. I was in papers as being the first pom to do team champs and all this. And, uh, and then I never set off in the first race. I felt like a bit of a knob, really. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt an even bigger knob in the second race because I, I was doing all right um, for the team. I was anxious to get forward and win the race for them. And um, I came across Kerry Pajerski, okay. who is... <clears throat> who's renowned for the best blocker, which is a car that won't let you past yeah. in a sense in a team race. And if you go around the outside of that car, there's every, he's every right to just put you up the wall and turn you over and do whatever he wants to you, you know, stop you from winning that race. And Kerry was the best blocker in the country at the time. And I don't know why, but it has a come behind Kerry. The only piece of information I remember was if you go around the outside, just keep your foot in, don't back off and just okay. run around the fence because the cars will just go around the fence like a skeleton street, you know. Yeah. So I did. I thought I'd lost Kerry. Kerry come across to block me, but he, because the cab sides are so high, you sit up here, you can't see down here where the other car is. So I thought I'd lost him. I'd lost his car. I'd gone past him, so I kept my foot in and rode round the fence because I thought if I'd go fast round the fence, he won't get me later on in the corner. Anyway, he was still on me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just turning me up the wall. And as I've got my the post and somersaulted and ended up on my roof. And, and I, I just remember hearing the crowd over the engine. Like just just the roar from the crowd was amazing, yeah. and then subsequently from that, you know that picture of me up the post upside down the wrong way around with Kerry Pajerski at the bottom <laughs> is is the publicity photo the okay. championship. So I made an impact that year. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, getting back to Guy and, and being there with him, he, we then had the idea of Team GB. Yeah. Then we, we got obviously in touch with Frank and Guy did everything from there on really. I mean, can't say enough about Guy. Um what a 
chap he is, you know, such a gentleman and the and the thing he does for Team GB and Peter does now as well is is just so commendable. I mean, just unbelievable what he has to organise to get us out there in cars and, and all suited and booted and do the business. Um, but talking personally about New Zealand, I feel like even though I've retired here, I still feel like there's something unfinished over there, you know. I feel happy to retire here, but certainly feel like there's something uh, yeah. left to do over there. Whether that's, I've, to I've toyed with the idea, I've designed a, a car to build for over there, but whether I even do that, I don't know, maybe it's a, maybe I'm just dreaming, I don't know, but uh, to do something with Team GB and finish the job because yeah. I think that we finished second and that was the last time I raced for them um, not a particular good year for myself but this is the thing about teams racing I think the drivers that do it need to understand you need to completely remove any selfish thoughts from your head you're not racing for yourself you're racing for a team and not only a team, you're racing for your country. So I think all the egos should be thrown out the window. And I think that is something that our lads find difficult when they go over there because they race for themselves a lot. And, uh, but I still think we, we've got a good chance of doing that, of, of winning that championship. And I would, I, hes I hesitate to say it, but I, I'd find it really hard to say that I'm done with with whatever's going on out there. You know, I, I feel like I want to complete, yeah. complete that dream of winning teams champs, really. But, but for you personally, that's maybe good to have like that as something in your mind to kind of almost work towards or, you know, that's so it's not all done with, if you like. Yeah, yeah. That, listen, I don't know the answer. I don't know whether I'm dreaming, whether I'm kidding myself or... But I certainly want to be involved in some way, shape or form, whether it's helping somebody or I, I don't know I don't know yeah. I just I just really want to push towards Team GB winning that team's champs that's yeah. something I, I want to happen not just for me but for the lads who've done it all the, all over the years and and more more, more than anybody Guy really yeah. want to do it for Guy and Peter yeah brilliant thank you sir thanks for that thank you um, what's been your funniest moments in stuff cars <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a bloody hell. There's a few. There's so many. I mean, the, the, a lot of them are all revolve around my dad, really. Um, but there's a lot that I, I can't really tell you. I don't. I couldn't upset you. I mean, maybe maybe one story, which is not tame. But we he had. I've spoken about it before. The camper that we used to take. Andrew's car in a trailer on the back of. Well, this camper was an Avico, um, built on a, an Avico chassis. My dad had it from brand new. When he retired, he had a testimonial. And the testimonial bought him this camper. And okay. I mean, he lived in this camper through breakups and marriages, through houses uh, being sold. He lived in this camper. This camper was his life lifeboat. <laughs> you know, it was, 
he loved that camper. There was nothing else he liked on earth other than this camper. <laughs> but it was, by the time we were finishing with it, when he was towing Andrew's stock car, I'm not being funny, but there were, there were more insects living in it than there were, <laughs> you know, people using it. It were, <laughs> were horrible. It, it was horrendous. It fall into pieces. It, but you could you could never ever slag it off. My, my dad loved it that much. It was like his little baby, really. Yeah. He used to call it the good old girl. Right, okay. Anyway, um, he always used to get in it after a meeting, and, and this is how comical it was. This camper and my dad, they were like they were to, always together. He'd get in after a meeting, and we'd say, "Come on, we've got to get home in this piece of shit." And, you know, <laughs> it's not a piece of shit. It's, Fucking brilliant, this camper. He gets to Moscow and back. That was what he always used to say. <laughs> and he, he'd get in and we'd, we'd wind him up that much. He'd end up slapping the, slamming the dashboard. There's nothing wrong with this camper. And as he slammed the dashboard, the cupboards would fall open. You know, it was just, it was like film, it really was. And it, there was, there were one time we were towing Andrew's stock car behind on the way to a meeting and my dad was driving. Because he would never drive back. He was always yeah. too fist. Anyway, <laughs> he, um, he was driving there and, and he's, all of a sudden, we're all talking and all of a sudden my dad chirped up. I'm going to have to pull over. I'm going to have to pull over on the hard shoulder of the motorway. And we said, what, what are you pulling over, you silly old bastard? You know, I'm going to get to the meeting. and he, I'm telling you, I've got to pull over. I can see you in my wing mirror. And we, what the, what's he going on about? We see him. I'm telling you. Anyway, he pulls over, and, and right enough, the side of the camper where there was a bench seat, and everyone was sat on, had bellied out that much you could see the back of the seat. <laughs> well, it was obviously <laughs> this thing was falling to pieces. It was a scrap. So what we had to do was was tie it together so it all held together somehow. <laughs> and um, we didn't have a drill. And my dad's watching what we're doing out of the driver's side. He's watching what we're doing at the side of the road to make sure we're not doing something wrong. And we didn't have a drill to put some holes into cable tie the side up. So we got an hammer and a screwdriver. And Cecil's hitting the hammer to put an hole in the side of the camper through the aluminium. And my dad, and while he's hitting the camper, all this rust dropping out at the side <laughs> of the motorway. And my dad turned around to Cecil and went, don't dint it. <laughs> when he said that, everybody pissed themselves. You know, <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, he, he loved that camper. Uh, Brilliant. I'm trying to think of some others. Um, they were a quick one. Uh I remember drinking a skeggy weekend with Dan John, uh, Dan Squire, back in the day, and uh, <laughs> we we finished really late at night, probably three or four o'clock, and um, he was on his he was on his way to his his transport, and I was on my way to. And we finished. We were full of drink. We were we had enough, and he fought one way, and I fought the other. And we, Woke up next morning, met each other, and he, he's shaking his head, and I said, what's wrong, are you rough? And he went, no. He said, I saw something last night, and it, it's it's like etched in my memory. I mean, it's etched in my memory, and I didn't even see it. 
And he, he says, he said, I was walking across the pits and I heard this trickle of water from me right. And as I looked over, it were, oh, it were, um, it were Jeff Nichols having a piss out of the front of his bus. And all he had on was his ten tools hat and his rigger boots. <laughs> so I, I thought that was that's in a lot of people's memories from now yeah, on. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, Stuart. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for sharing. It, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, no worries. It, there's quite a lot. There's so many stories. Yeah. I can tell you a lot. A lot of them involve Scott Davids and Peter Paulding as well. They, them two are crackers, but I couldn't really tell you them. I'd, I'd, uh, no. I'd have to get permission first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the Jeff Nichols one and your dad one there. Perfect. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so on a slightly differently, um, when you when you're on track and there's a caution, you sat there in your car waiting for the race to restart. Well, what do you do to pass the time? What, what <laughs> I said I'd, I actually told my wife what I did uh, once, and she didn't believe me. But it, it's actually fall asleep. I try, I try and get some sleep. Yeah, because I'm, I'm one of these lucky people. My wife's not, but I, I, I can sleep anywhere. I can, I could have literally fell asleep sat up. You know, I can just. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm just always have <laughs> been able to. And uh, on a yellow flag, I'll fall asleep. Yeah. Really. Yeah, the start start of the engines wake me up and I'm and I'm off to go again. <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. Thank you. Um, looking back as at your time as a stock car driver, if there's one thing you could have done differently, what would it have been? <clears throat> um, <laughs> well, I, I could say not race at, at Northampton. Could have that <laughs> that that fateful day, but yeah. One thing about that, I mean, I'm not saying it's that, but one thing about that was before that meeting, me and Frankie were obviously going for the points, but we were still talking because the tracker were, were wet. And, and we looked at each other, and, and he's like shaking his head, and we were half sort of saying to each other, you know, you say it first and I'll agree with you. And he said it, he said, we shouldn't be racing. You know, it's it's too dangerous. I, and I wish I'd have said, uh, yeah, balls to it, she'll go to the bar. You know, I wish I'd have said that, really. But no, that, that's not that's not uh, something I'd do differently. I think one thing I would do differently is is maybe be at a time when when I was, like, years and tears years and, and the changes in the sport, like I mentioned before with tyres and certain aspects of cars, when, when the... Uh, at that period, I wish I'd have stuck at it more. I wish I'd have, wish I'd have gone testing more. I just, I just had this belief that it weren't the right thing for the sport, and I, I kidding myself really. I wish I'd have prepared a bit more because I think it was uh, what opened my eyes to the the testing side of things and and sort of changed my opinion on it. Was was when. Um, I think it, 2009, I won the points championship, and and a lot of that were down to a man called um, Tim Mann. He yeah. he uh, he was influential in Frankie Wayman's career uh, quite early on, and like a big influence. 
and he and he just come on board. He he come back to the sport, and yeah, lovely bloke, and just he just wanted to help me. And he, he never really actually went to many meetings. He just he was that good at watching a car and seeing what he thought were wrong with it on a video, and then he'd ring me on the Monday or Tuesday, and we'd talk about the changes we could make and. And that involvement of somebody that's that experienced, and yeah. and also telling you that you you're good, you know that, that helps a lot. Because I didn't yeah. really have that. I was raced against my brother, who yeah. he's never going to say actually he's quite a good driver, Stuart. He, he's not <laughs> going to say that. But, um, yeah, to to have Tim on board, and and he took me testing once um, uh, midweek in yeah, to Birmingham, and we we made. We didn't get much testing at all, and we only made one tiny change, and it it transformed the car, and it transformed my racing on tarmac, and that really helped me to win the points in 2009. So the reason why I say I wish I'd have been a bit more, I wish I'd have done that sooner, I think, the testing side of things, and, and I wish I'd have done more of it through my career because I think I'd have, been, I'd have had better results in bigger races. Yeah. I think a constant theme when I've been talking to drivers is is that to be at, at the top of the sport, it is just such a huge commitment you need to make personally, professionally, to, to get... Because everybody can be great, but it's that, who you know, to be that next level up and be the number one is is a challenge. It's a real challenge, isn't it? Uh, it yeah, I can't really... Until you do it, you'd never realise how much time is involved. I mean, I'll give you an example. Rob Speak um, said that when he raced F2s, he could do a lot of it himself. You know, yeah. I remember him saying when he come into, cause like with an F2, you could you could lift the back axle out yourself, and you could you could do a lot of work yourself. And it's only small about you, you know what I mean. The components yeah. are a lot yeah. smaller and yeah. easier to manage. Yeah. But with the Formula One, you need a team of at least three lads behind you if yeah. you if you're to go to the top. And at least three. Don't get me wrong, you need good women behind you as well, or or, or fellas, you know, it doesn't matter who they are, but you need a a, a net a team there to do all the the ancillary work if you like, you know, the, the stuff that you don't see. Uh, not necessarily just working on the cars. It's such a big team effort. And I've got to say, uh, the other thing is as well is is the support, the the help that you get, the sponsorship. Yeah. That's invaluable. It really is because it makes you a little bit psychological, really. That makes you think that you're not just you're not just blowing all your money. You somebody else is in with, involved with you as well. I mean, I've had lots of sponsors over the years and I'd like to thank them all, I really would uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to do that I mean, one in, one in particular that, that helps a lot of drivers out there is Jamie Davidson and he think about it, he sponsored me when not a lot of people would I came back to the sport after a year out and Jamie said yeah, I'll, I'll sponsor you again you know, and it didn't make sense for him to sponsor me I, I was racing against Rob Speak and, and recently against Tom Harris, who yeah. were his drivers, but he's, he's a fan of the sport, isn't he? And, and I think that shows because he sponsors everybody. And, 
you know, I, I think he um, people like him in the sport need more recognition, really. And yeah. it, it'd be a poorer place without people like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. No, thank you for that. Um, thank you. What's your dream job? <clears throat> dream job? Dream job. Uh, I, I suppose I'd say like a, a professional stock car driver. Yeah, I think that'd be one, but I'd tell you what, you know, in the last, <clears throat> in the last six months I've uh, my in-laws have bought a farm and uh, and the brother has a well I spent a bit of time on a digger at their farm and I spent a bit of time um, at Andrew's place doing a bit of groundwork at his place and and yeah sit on one of them diggers all day it's, it's not hard work but it's it's quite enjoyable so that that's come a close second I think as well a digger oh. driver at the minute <laughs> It's a good job. It's a good job. Um, talking of jobs, uh, you you're on you're on the uh, BSCDA committee. Um, is there one thing that you'd like to bring in that you think would make a huge change be a benefit to the sport? That's kind of your idea, if you like, or your thing. Um, it's it's a really hard one to answer. That it's a, it's a good question, but it's hard to answer because. I mean, I'd love stock cars to be on terrestrial TV, you know, as big as anything else. But let's be honest, it's it's not going to be. I don't think it's not. It's not. It's all about money. Unfortunately, that side of things is all about money. It's all about attracting a big sponsor. Uh, and the thing is, with with the BSCDA, is that a lot of people don't see the. The things that we do, uh, that we don't, people don't know about. They, they, they'll never know about. I mean, the fact that we we really tried and hard, you know, we, we employed really good people to try and get massive sponsors for the sport, so we can put money back into stuff like what you're doing and and you know promotional videos and also put a bit of money back into the drivers. And we just couldn't do it, and we, we, you know, we spent a fair bit of money doing it. We spent, you know, a lot of money. Everybody tried their hardest, and we got somewhere with a few people, few companies, and it just didn't really happen. And I think that would be something I'd change. That would be the thing that I wish we could get a big sponsor on board to sponsor the BSCDA or the drivers, and where we could look after drivers because we where the BSCDA is really good is that we we distribute the wealth or the any kind of prize money the best we can even to the people that arguably don't race often enough you know but they've they put massive effort in at their level do you know what I mean yeah, and, and they, they get rewarded for it and I mean people like you know the lower end like your whites your yellows your blues without them we wouldn't have a sport because we wouldn't have the action makers we wouldn't have the the, the backbone if you like of the sport I'm, I'm a real believer of that so I think the thing I'd change would be um, yeah the ability to attract big sponsors yeah so what, what do you think is that sort of puts 
them off? Is it because it's a difficult sport to follow from an outsider looking in, or you know, what is it? Do you think that they kind of, you know, because you know, for for us, it's like it's the best thing in the world, isn't it? But you know, how do you, I guess, explain that to somebody who doesn't know what stock cars is? It's quite difficult, isn't it? It is difficult, yeah, because I think in this country we've got a stigma attached to us because we're we are somewhat of an entertainment, so we're not the serious drivers of, of circuit racing. You know what I mean? We, yeah. even though the stories I hear from circuit lads, but they're just as mental as us. Like you know, <laughs> down to earth and as mental as us. But um, yeah, I mean. I don't really know what it is. I think it's just, I think it's just the fact that we're we're maybe maybe not. How can I put it? Not on a big enough channel, TV-wise, or something like that. I don't know. I mean, I do believe that social media is is more important now than than any kind. Of Kind of advertisement on TV because you know, look at people just stream stuff now, they don't even watch adverts, do they? Really, they try and avoid them like plague. So, and I think the more that we do, my, my point of view is the more that we do on social media, like what, like what you're doing, like everybody's doing in that respect, I think it'll build and it'll get to a point where we're more attractive because we have a lot of followers or. Or however it works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, that's that's fair to say, really. Okay. Um, so just thinking about, I guess, the health of the sport. So unfortunately, we've lost a few tracks. Potentially, Bradford's on its way back. So how would you rank the health of the sport at the moment? You know, it's, it's unbelievable how um, things have changed over the last uh, five years. You know, we, five years is is a, a lot can happen, and it, it, it hasn't it just in five years. You know, we've I know we lost Coventry before that, but there was always the hope that Coventry would come back, and there still is. I just hope it comes to fruition because we need somewhere. Uh, we I couldn't believe we lost uh, Stoke really. I, I, I knew it was for sale, but I I, I really felt that Stoke had a had a, a really big potential of, of being a, a good action track. Um, but obviously, it's gone, and, and, we're, and we're stuck with. I mean, how many, how many real good shale venues have we got? Two, two is it? Is that it? You know, it's Kingsland, Northampton. Yeah, Northampton. Yeah, 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 Northampton Shale. But yeah, yeah, I, I think it's just such a shame. It's sort of in the position it is now, but you know what? I've seen I've seen the job go from where we had eighteen cars on tarmac, and that was often that's quite often, and no crowd, literally no crowd. You know, probably fifty to hundred people, and it was it was horrendous back in the mid to late nineties we were really struggling. And what we did, we changed we changed the BSCDA made a change. Um and the and Brisker, you know, they made a change and they dropped the I think they dropped the meetings and they sort of condensed things down and, and they went for quality rather than quantity. And it just 
it one year I think it changed ninety nine. It just went from <clears throat> struggling for car numbers to booming, and the yeah. crowd was back. Yeah. So I think I think the job's really strong. In the it's weird, really. It's a bit funny how, <clears throat> in some respects, it's small. It's a it's a well kept secret, you know, stock cars. But the beauty of that is, it can be changed quite quickly to be to grab the people back to come and watch it. So it works both ways, really. Yeah. So, but I think we'll, look, we'll bounce back from it. I mean, there's the talk of Bradford, isn't there, potentially coming back? <laughs> And, and uh, Star Trek's going in there and, and doing the job there, and I just think um, if that comes off, I think I think that'll be that'll be something that people will talk about for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. it could be. It could... Even if it's only for one season, it'll still be talked about. Yeah. So your dad promoted at Scunthorpe. Is being a promoter something you've ever considered or thought about? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's something that I, I was all up for going for not, not long ago. Um, I was still racing, in fact. I, were, I weren't just toying with the idea. I, I was very, very serious about it. I, I got my, uh, my businesses now all geared up to not finish, but to be in a position where I could I could go into promoting but learn about the job first it would have to be structured to to do it right because i'd hate to be a person that came in and did damage to the sport or tracks or anything like that i'd like to learn learn a bit about the craft first but yeah i think the going back to your question about the dream job i suppose now it would be it would be a promoter you know talking about dreams i've always had the dream of of owning my own stadium and running it because I remember the days when my dad run Scunthorpe and it was he lo- he, he really enjoyed it and, and I did I loved playing there I loved going around the track on my little trike I had and uh, yeah real fond memories of, of running of eating and my dad uh, did really well at Scunthorpe yeah. um, he also promoted at Stoke funnily yeah. enough Going from what I've said, it was you know, it was an action track and it, it, it had some potential. My dad really struggled at Stoke, but he was he was going up against Bradford, uh, Coventry, all the other ones, weren't he? So yeah, you know, I think uh, yeah, and, and I just have fond memories of it. It's it's something that I still think about because it didn't really come off. Um, I was you know, putting myself in a position to do it. It just didn't happen. For one reason or another, it didn't happen. And I do believe that things happen for a reason. I mean, I look at the I look at the job now and I would have been um, financially uh, uh, you know, really in with in, in deep financially yeah. and looking at the tracks that have gone, it it would have hit me really hard and uh I think uh, it, it would have been a, in a worse position for it to happen to me if I'd have took yeah. it on then. So the yeah. promoter that's got the tracks now, I think he's more than capable of moving on. And like I say, Bradford's coming back, so oh well, hopefully it is. Um, I think it will be. I, I just have a feeling it will. But uh, yeah, let's let's just cross our fingers and our toes and yeah. 
I hope that it's it comes off because it'll be brilliant around there. Yeah, it, I'd, well then. I would I would struggle not to have a go around Bradford as well. <laughs> so. Well, fingers crossed for Bradford for for many reasons. There may be like stop thinking of your New Zealand stock car and start thinking of where you can get a track. That that's your <laughs> that's your, that's your project. <laughs> yeah. Um. So are you still as passionate? I mean, clearly, you're still as passionate about Formula One today as you ever have been. Um, you know, if you don't go to the meetings and such, are you still kind of keeping in touch about who's won, who's who's on top form, etc.? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, definitely with Formula Ones, but also with other, other Formulas as well. I've had more time to look around, uh, not racing Formula Ones, I've had more time to watch other Formulas, like I've, I've been... I've, I've, I'm lucky enough that Jessica has been racing F2, so I've been more interested in them and, and looking around them. And um, also, I, I like watching bankers. I mean, who doesn't like watching bankers? You know, it's good to watch the unlimited bankers because uh, I think it was Andrew's friend, Jack Over. He, he, we, I got to know him one Christmas. We went around to Andrew's and um, got speaking to him and watched a few videos of the bangers with, with Jack in it and yeah it was, I've kind of got into that so I, I love the whole oval oval racing scene it's not just Formula One um, so yeah I'm, I'm as keen as mustard really yeah good so obviously keeping in touch with the sport then who do you uh, see as being a star of the future in Formula One <clears throat> it's a bit yeah, um, and I'd like to say that in an ideal world, I, I, well, I can't not mention my nieces. It'd be personal, pers personally, I'd love to see them do really well because I know, I know that going back to the pressure side of things, they've got even more than I had, haven't they? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, and they've got the mother as well. I mean, Lisa was. <laughs> Was good in it on it on a day, weren't she? She won a couple of finals, so that they're uh, they've got more pressure than I ever had. Uh, it'd be great to see them do something uh, and be successful at it. Uh, but I, I don't think they've got other priorities at the minute. Jessica is uh, at uni and stuff, and Rebecca, you know, whatever Rebecca wants to do, uh, she might even go into F2s as well. Who knows? So. Yeah, they would be the, the first choice to see up there. Um, but I think Formula One-wise, uh, I'd like to see Charlie Sorda do well. I think another another one because of a bit, a bit bias, really. He's, he's got a car that I built and, uh, from, uh, from the Dutch contingent. He's got the car and a guy called Frank Schrecker. And, uh, yeah... I just hope he does well. I hope he's the star of the future, especially in that car, which I, I think he will be, because he's a good little driver. I've seen him. He he, can, he knows what he's doing. He's he just got a, a long road ahead and a lot to learn. I think the other ones, um, the Evans twins, they're coming through from mini stocks. They're they're good little drivers, uh, but. Yeah, I'd really want to see Charlie up there. I'd re and, and also, I'd want to see um, Bradley Harrison uh, up there. And I'd want to see young Frankie, little Frankie. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see him up there as well. Because the job needs these names in the sport. And, uh, mm -hmm. 
yeah, I mean, there's there's a long long uh, long list of history there, isn't there? You know, it's with them, associated with them names. So yeah, them. I'd like to see them up there. But it is that people can go away from the sport and go. I used to remember a, a Frankie Wayman racing, and there's still a, a Frankie Wayman racing now, isn't there? Just to me, and it's, yeah. it does. But it allows people to then get back into it because they know a driver or they can associate with it. It, it helps, doesn't it? Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. I tell you what, you know. I've got out of some scrapes in Rochdale because my name's Stuart Smith. I can't tell you <laughs> how, how lucky I am to have that name. I remember once I was driving, I was driving an old part exchange we got from uh, from a from whoever's house it was, and I got pulled over by the police. And I had a light out. I had no tax and no insurance. No, no tax and no test. And I didn't realise because I just thought this car was all right to use. So. Um, anyway, the, he were he were going to throw the book at me, and, he, and he's really giving me a drumming. I was only a young lad, and he said, uh, "What's your name?" I said, "Stuart Smith." He went, "Stuart Smith." Said, yeah, went, like the stock car driver. I said, "Yeah, that's my dad." And he went, "Oh, I used to watch him at Bellevue," <laughs> and then I just knew I were off with it. I like, we're fine. So, so he let me drive home. He said, "Don't let me see you out in this car again." <laughs> so I got on with that. That's just one story, but there's lots of others. I can't tell. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, right, so uh, we, we're talking today because um, one of the reasons is we're obviously um, COVID and, and, and so on and so forth and not racing. So if we, if you had to self-isolate um, and you could choose three people, so you can have uh, one current Formula One stock car driver, one Formula One, one former Formula One stock car driver, and a driver from another four minutes to self-isolate with, who would you choose? Um, oh, it's a bit, a bit of an hard one. Uh, current Formula One drivers. Uh, can you have one of them? Can only have one. Yeah. Right. One well, Formula One driver. I think I, I, I'd want to say, say one of the Nietzsche brothers, I think, uh, Ed or James. I can't choose one of them, can I? Because I don't say the other. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd, choose, I'd choose James. Ed won't care. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'll, I'll choose James Nietzsche, I suppose. Uh, a former driver. I think I'd, it's between Falding and Scott Davids, I think. Uh, Scott Davids is crackers. He's such a character. <laughs> but Peter's great to drink with you know we're yeah. good friends and we have we have a laugh and we had a laugh in new zealand we yeah some great times so i think i'd choose peter okay. uh, and what was the third one what was the from another formula somebody from another formula not not formula one stock cars um jack over it'd be one because he's a good laugh uh but also also gordon moody you know I don't know Gordon that well. I know him well enough to talk to. Um, I, re I remember when when I won the world final at, at Skeggy in 2018. He was in the bar, and he won the world final just I think it was before the, in the F2s just before yeah. then, and he was absolutely steaming. He was. I mean, Gordon's got a thick Scottish accent anyway, and he's just like, you know. And the words you just said, then God, like, like he's he's a good lad. Like I think uh, I think Gordon would be a good crack, but 
Yeah, I, I probably. I, I think I know Jack a bit better, so I'd have to choose Jack over here, I think, from another All formula. Right. I like that. It's a good choice. It's a good choice. Yeah. Right, I'm going to ask you another question. All right, and so I ask everybody this question. I'm going to make it slightly more difficult for yourself, right? So your top three drivers of all time, but you can't have your dad, your brother, or you in the in the top three. So who are you going to have as your, as your top three drivers? Because let's say they would be in it anyway, right? But then, you know, so who's your other top three? Right. It kind of makes it easier, if I'm honest. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, right, well, number, number three would be Peter Folding. Peter Folding would be up there just through... You know, he, he's won the world championship four times. He's numerous other championships, but also uh, winning the long track as well. That That's, for me, growing up, I couldn't believe how fast they used to go around there. Even as a kid, it used to take my breath away how fast they were. And um, so, yeah, Peter would be third. Um, second has got to be Frankie Wayman. Got to be, you know what I mean? How can you not? Put him in your top three. He's what he's won. Uh, final wins he's won. Uh, yeah, well, final you can argue against. You know, he could should have won more. He could have won more, but yeah, he's he's also won world world titles in New Zealand, which I hold quite important as well, and and in Holland. So he, yeah. yeah, yeah, Frank second all day long. Uh, and the number one, unsurprisingly, is Lundy. How can how can you not say he's number one, really, um, out of everybody other than my dad? Yeah. <laughs> because John's won them world titles. He's also backed it up with all the world uh, final wins um, and the numerous other titles. But it was in the fashion that he did it as well. You know, over such a long period, total dedication, as with Frankie. Um, you, you, they've got to be one and two uh, based on, upon what the sheer amount of stuff they won over the period of time, you know. But Lundy was just, yeah, re really sort of majestic. To is that is that the right word to describe yeah, his drive? That's a great word. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I appreciate how John drove in the dry. Uh, he he drove like nobody else really and when, when it, takes me, it takes me back to my own driving when, when I, I saw another driver who, who called Bob Ciccone he came over and used my brother's car in yeah. 90 whatever it was or whenever it was and then and he was an American I think he was a midget driver and a super modified big block super modified driver and he came over and he jumped in this spare car and him and Andrew went out racing around Bradford testing. And he went round and he was just latched on the back of Andrew. And Andrew were top lad then, you know. Yeah. He cut off and I said, bloody hell, you're going really well then. But the difference was Andrew was sideways and this Bob Ciccone was even, not even really trying. I mean, he, and, he, and he said to me, he said, well, if your wheels are spinning, you're not going forward. And, yeah. and that really rung true. And going back to John, if you if you think about it, John used to be quick on dry shale, faster than anybody. And 
I feel that I wanted to be that kind of driver that looked controlled, but yeah. was a fast on dry shale. And there's not many people can do it because you've got to be so disciplined in your head, thinking slower is faster. You know? Yeah, yeah. That old sort of motorsport saying. And um, the way John used to used to just fly around Coventry and Bradford, Bradford especially. His car never ever looked as though it was going to go sideways around there. And yeah, it just the way he drove had, had quite a, an impact on the way that yeah. I tried to drive. You know, brilliant. Thank you. And I won't ask you to pick between John and your dad because when we always do this, it's like oh, you, there's, there's you, no contest. It's me dad. There's loads of pictures of him up there. Yeah, me, me dad. Only because he was a character more than anything. But, <laughs> Now, you look back and you look back at how people talk about him when he used to race and just how, I mean, don't forget, we, he raced against us all. Peter Falding, Speaky, Andrew, me. I was the current current world champion. There were Frankie Wayman, there were Lundy. We all, Bert Finnegan, all these superstars, all right, did not race for ages, but bear in mind, this was only two or three years before he had his heart attack and died. And he went out in a modern-day stock car that he'd never jumped in before, never raced. And he went out and he he lapped me. I was the current world champion. And he and he was one of the fastest cars out there. And, and I think my dad was a real freak of a driver, a stock car driver. Yeah. I mean, he had lots of offers of other other forms of motorsport, even single-seaters. But he, at that time, he, when he got the offer, he said that um, people were being killed quite often in, in crashes and stuff. And it did interest him. He was a stock car man through and through. He never wanted to race anything else. I mean, he did do. He raced over at Beach Ridge Raceway in America. Um, he raced sprint cars in South Africa. Uh, he raced in New Zealand. He raced all over, and he did really well in everything he raced. He was just, I think, my dad were a bit of a one of them people that come along and grace a sport, and just they're just yeah. a, a phenomenon, if you like. Yeah, it's a bit like Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo in football, you know. Yeah. That's how uh, that's how he's one of his mates referred to him at. Uh, yeah. Keith he, he referred to him as a, a messy of stock car racing. You but that, that's, that's fair. It's a fair analogy because you say you've got this guy that's just just incredible. And you know how do you how do you quantify that? And you can't and other can compare and say it was yeah. like that. And going back to that race, that race of champions where we were all in it, and he went and won it. You know, it was such so short a time before he he, he died of an attack. He was sixty four. So he must have been over over sixty, maybe sixty year old when he he raced against us all and beat us all. And you know, I mean, who does that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it shows his absolutely. It is a crazy statistic that and, that, and that's all I really saw of my dad properly racing. I raced against him, and because um, I never got, I only seen videos, and that just made me think, well, he's obviously something special, yeah, and he was. But he, he was a he was a special man. He was a special dad. He was, he was a good old boy. Thank you. Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you. Um, as we're coming to the end of the interview, and actually the question that I'm sure everybody wants me to ask you. Um, so you've got two children. 
Uh, what's your favourite kids' TV programme? <laughs> um, definitely Dougie. Is it Dougie? I don't know. I've not watched that one. Oh, I can't believe you've not watched it. I'm sure it's Dougie. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's the, I'm not going to do the impression. You can sign off. I'm not doing the impression. <laughs> it's a dog who's a, a scout leader. Yeah. That, that's my favourite. Yeah. Brilliant, thank you. I'm sure people will. Some people will know what that is. I, I do. Um, we do Paw Patrol and True. So if any of those, I don't know. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but in all seriousness, fine. Um, so looking looking to the future, obviously everything went up for sale. I think the, the shell car got sold. Um, not sure about the tarmac one, but um, do you think we'll ever see Stuart Smith Junior. back behind Formula One competitively in the future? I wish I could give you a, a straight answer. Um, truth is, I don't know myself. Uh, I want to say I'll I'll do something, um, but I think I think realistically speaking, it, the com, I'm still competitive, so I still want to race. But I also still want to only race if I can be number one, and yeah. and I think um, to do that. I just don't know if I'd have the commitment. And uh, that ultimately gives you an answer, I suppose, doesn't it? Um, yeah. I've got, I could race after this year if I really wanted to, health wise. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, mean, I, I mentioned New Zealand earlier, and, and it, it, I just really feel there's something unleft un, un there. There's so, something not finished. I, I'd love to do something over there. Whether it happens or not, I don't know. Um, as regards over here, I th I've said it, in a, it that I'm not going to race again, and, and who knows? I'd never say never, but yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I would only do it if, if I could be 100% dedicated, and, uh, yeah. and that's certainly not going to happen if I do it all myself because yeah. the, I've sold everything. <laughs> Yeah, was that one of the reasons why you, you sold your cars and stuff? So that there wasn't the temptation there to almost go, I can race if I want to. If they've gone, they've gone, haven't they? Yeah, the, the thing is, is also that, that I know that this year's been a freak year and nobody's raced, but two years of being out, you, you, it's a lot to, to lose. You know, the momentum, it, it's a lot of momentum to lose. Car... Uh, spec wise, setup wise, you don't follow the trends of what other drivers are doing, so you you're out of it, and you to come back, it'd take another year, two years to come back and be at the level that I would want to be. And um, you know, I'm I'm 38 this year. And I know that's not mega old, but my dad retired when he was 40. I think Andrew retired when he was 40 as well. So yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done enough and I want to spend time with my kids and my wife. I want to make them as happy as I can. And uh, I, I know that they love stock cars and it would, they'd, they'd gladly go again. But that level of dedication means I wouldn't see them often enough. So that ultimately answers your question, I think. Yeah, yeah it does do it. Thank you very much. Um, at that point, that's it. We're, we're done. Um, thank you so so much for your time this evening. We, we, we you know we agreed to do a, a good a good chat, and, and we certainly have done. Um, before we go, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, I'd like to thank everybody that's helped me over the years. Really, um, mechanics, sponsors, uh, but most of all, my wife. 
uh, who's put up with the the dedicated nights of not being here, and she's been looking after the kids. And yeah, and, the, and my family for looking after me at the time. You know, when Emmy crash, I'd like to thank them because they all rallied together and ran my businesses for me. So yeah, um, and just thank you to you lot again. You know, the the lads involved um, the, and the whole people behind the scenes at the BSCDA. Sophie does a great job as well, doesn't she? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just everyone involved in promoting the job. While, while we're in this lockdown, you know, it's been the BSCDA that's been at the forefront of the promotion. And um, the, the, there's an argument there, but that's for another day. And it's, but the BSCDA certainly have rose to the, rose to the occasion and kept the public involved and drivers and, and everybody and, I, and I, it's so it's so commendable what they've been doing and what you've been doing and yeah i just want to thank you all really cheers to it thank you very much and if we get racing hopefully i'll see you there if not bradford next year fingers crossed yeah, yeah that'll be good <laughs> you, can, you can buy me a pint and, and tell yeah. me talk... <laughs> your dad can buy him all right, Stuart, thank you very much. It's been a great talking to you. See you later. No worries. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks.